Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's been a horrific year on Portland streets. The number of people killed in traffic crashes is approaching 50, and hundreds more have been seriously wounded, their lives forever altered. It comes as Portland pursues Vision Zero, the international campaign adopted by dozens of cities that seeks to eliminate all traffic deaths by 2025. In Portland, 2018 saw significant declines, but 2019 has brought the opposite. One year doesn't make a trend, but bike and pedestrian fatalities are on the rise nationally. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, a conversation with Philip Maynard, a 21-year veteran of the Portland Police Bureau, who's one of the few officers assigned to respond to major crashes. Maynard is a reconstructionist. He tries to piece together what happened and who's at fault in a crash. We talked about how officers are coping with the traffic death toll, which consistently outpaces homicides in the city, and what we can do to address it. Later, we'll talk to Portland Transportation Commissioner Chloe Udaly about the city's backslide on Vision Zero. This has been um, a pretty devastating year on the streets in terms of the number of people killed. Um, what has it been like for you and your colleagues working this year? Yeah, it's it's been busy, and there's no question about it. You see the the stories of the crashes that are going on. Even our colleagues, uh, co-workers will come up and, you know, say, wow, you guys have been busy, you know, officers from other units. And they'll kind of comment on how, how busy the traffic division and the major crash team's been. So no doubt it's it's been a busier year than normal. I'd imagine that at some point, uh, emotionally, that must take a toll as well. Um, does it take a toll emotionally to go through, um, you know, when you're talking about visiting almost 60 crashes this year, right? That's, that's a lot. It is. And, um, short answer to that is yes, it does take a toll and it, you know, you can point at a lot of people that it's taking a toll on. Obviously the, the loved ones of that, uh, that may have just lost somebody in a, in a crash, even the at-fault driver. There's an emotional toll on them. Um, there's the folks that have to respond out there, all the first responders, you know, the paramedics, the firefighters, yeah. the, the officers. But it, it absolutely does take its toll. And I think anybody who says otherwise is not being honest with themselves about it. But yes, it it definitely takes its toll. What do you do to 
to, to cope with that emotionally? The biggest thing I um, tell myself and tell, my, tell other people to do is just talk about it. Uh, talk about how you're feeling, what exactly about it is uh, wearing on you. Mm-hmm. For me, that's the biggest thing I, I, I do and that I, I tell other people that are involved that they should do. It's easier said than done. <laughs> um, I can't, I'm not always willing or able to, to talk openly. It's, it's a daily challenge to openly talk about how you're feeling, but it's, it's the right thing to do. Because there's not enough time to, or because you're, uh, you know, maybe you don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. I think you don't have the bandwidth. Um, I think that's, um, probably a good, good way to, uh, to describe it. It's, um, because it's not something overt, you know, I may not, you know, feel tears welling up as I'm at the scene or something like that. But it's oftentimes, you know, a day later, once you've had time to process things or, or even weeks later, once you've had time to think about what this catastrophic event and, um, that it really starts to kind of weigh heavily on you. And so, you know, obviously talking with people, having outlets, um, you know, one of the things that I do in my free time is I coach youth sports Yeah, and it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's a, it's an opportunity for me to get my mind off of the day-to-day uh, work. Um, and, you know, it's uh, interact with the young kids in the community that, um, uh, you know, wouldn't normally get to interact with an officer, uh, you know, outside of work. And so, you know, I can laugh and joke with them and, you know, we can have a good time. And in addition to that, it's just spending time with my family. Right, right. Um, you, you know, this this is my first year where, full year where I'm, I'm paying attention to all of the press releases that are coming out. I'm paying attention to all the uh, the incidents like more closely than I have in previous years because it wasn't my job. And I guess for me, um, there are going to be a couple that stand out to me, um, like a, a young girl who was, this was not a fatal incident, but she was struck with her mother crossing the street in a pedestrian beacon um, back, back in uh, deep southeast uh, earlier this year. And um, you know, on uh, Foster, uh, a woman who was killed um, uh, the next day uh, after the city celebrated finishing that streetscape there on, on Foster. Um, are there incidents that from this year that you'll kind of remember? Um, I, I'm sure you'll probably remember them all, but uh, things that'll stick with you? They all stick with me in, in some some way. There are certain certain ones and not even, you know, I, they're just over the last four years, ones that, that stick with me and for very various reasons, I, I don't know that I could explain. Um, some of them, um, are, I can give you some examples yeah, of sure. ones that, you know, uh, this time of year, I think of, uh, a crash that I responded to, uh, a couple of years ago and it happened, uh, Christmas day. It was Christmas morning mm-hmm. and it was a group of, um, young teenagers. They were Christmas caroling. One of the cars, um, went around past a car full of friends that was in front of them and they went too fast into a corner and 
Uh, subsequently, the car went off the road and rolled, and um, the driver was seriously injured, and the passenger was killed. Wow. And I just, you know, the the timing of it, obviously, the the age, they were all teenagers, um, and that, and then obviously, and then some of the family came to the scene. All of that stuck with me. Not that I ever forget about it, but every time around this time of year, around the holidays, that's one that uh, certainly had more of a lasting effect than some of the other ones. Um, this year there's, there's been a lot, you know, I guess one that comes to mind is there, it was, um, it was months back, but it was, uh, it was a ride share and, uh, the ride share, uh, was going North on 102nd Avenue near 205, right? near, yeah, near 205. And, the um, you know, they were, had a passenger in the rear seat and uh, a vehicle that appeared to have been going at a high rate of speed crossed over the center median and hit him head on. And the rear passenger in the ride share was killed. And the driver of both vehicles uh, was were both seriously injured. But you know, I think, you know, I got an opportunity to talk with the, the lady who, uh, who was driving the ride share. And you know, just as we were talking and just kind of having casual conversation, this was at the grand jury um, proceedings. Okay. And I just got an opportunity to talk with her and really, um, you know, listen to kind of her life story and uh, and then how this that that event had affected her life. And um, it was hard. It was extremely hard to to, to listen to and. Um, you know, she shared some very personal things with me about it. And uh, so, you know, for that reason, I I mean, it it definitely had an effect and it's one that sticks with me. Were were you on the scene for that one as well? I was. Um, I know that sometimes, like you said, um, you respond and and it might be an hour or so, or, or, you know, the scene might not look like, it might not be a fresh scene for lack of a better description. How soon were you there? Uh, I'm, I'm usually on the scene within an hour. Okay. So of it, of it occurring. And so um, were the deceased still there when you arrived? Yeah. In, uh, in that particular instance, they were, um, and it just situation dictates whether or not, Um, if a person's killed, whether or not the body is still there. And that one, um, that uh, pretty horrific by your retelling and my recollection, I mean, that seemed to be a pretty grisly scene. It was. Yeah. And, um, y- you know, it, again, for, the f- because of that, it obviously has, uh, stands out, but, uh, it's not unique. Uh, right. Many of them are, uh, when it, you talk about, serious injury or yeah. fatal crashes. And I guess I, I go there and I mention that not for, you know, gawking at it or anything like that, just yeah. to remind people that this is what it's like, right? I mean, this is not, uh, I think there's a lot of sense from uh, any driver, and I know this is kind of the curriculum that you get if you go to one of these speeding diversion classes having gone to one that, oh, it's not going to be me. It'll never be me, but it could be you. It absolutely and I, you know, I, I guess I could, you know, from my own personal experience, I, I've been doing investigating fatals for, um, 
a little over four years. I've been a police officer for 21 years. Yeah. The first, uh, I can tell you from my own personal experience, I uh, my my uncle was killed when I was a young teenager. He was killed in a head-on crash. Yeah. And I still remember that. And then uh, more, uh, obviously, I still remember that. Um, but I remember, you know, kind of specifics about it, even though I was somewhat young. Um, and then when I was in college, uh, we were returning from a camping trip and a car two in front of us had a, uh, another vehicle turn in front of them and, and two occupants of the vehicle were killed. Wow. And I can still to this day remember elements of that. It seems odd, but the smell, the, you know, colors of the cars, just, I can every specific details of it. And we're talking about an event that occurred 30 years ago, 25 to 30 years ago. And um, it uh, it has that kind of lasting effect. I, I think that's oftentimes, I've seen, you know, people with significant military backgrounds get involved in a, an event like this and have a very significant emotional response to it. Unlike, you know, you, and you would think somebody who had been in combat and, you know, would yeah. be emotionally prepared for this situation and you know and to be it that's the kind of effect it can have on on an individual is it's significant um phil your your uncle's death and this incident that happened in your youth was that or in your college days i should say were those factors that led you to want to do this job or was that just kind of a happen happenstance i guess the short answer, yes, it did. Mm-hmm. It did have an effect, and it has an effect on how I approach the job to this day. Uh, initially, you know, when I became a police officer, it wasn't necessarily um, something I was looking to do as soon as I got into law enforcement. But as uh, my career progressed, it it did. It became something that, um, you know, I it was a respected position. I think it's a, a absolutely worthwhile position as um and uh so later in my career as things sort of became come full Mm -hmm. had come full circle um yeah it it uh gained a lot of importance for me can you talk about your job specifically reconstructing these um crashes i mean what does that entail and how often are you able to determine you know, all the various factors that might have led to to the incident. Yeah, so the second part of that, I mean, as far as how often are we able to determine all of the uh, factors and, and identify everything that occurred, um, more often than not, we can't. My experience has been we're generally able to get a good understanding, um, answer most of the questions, but in many cases there's just not – enough information available to us to answer all the questions. As far as my role uh, on the crash team, I guess my official title would be reconstructionist. So from that, you can kind of surmise I'm trying to piece everything back together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could be in the form of uh, witness statements. It could be from involved statements, the drivers or passengers. Uh, it could be video but oftentimes it's a combination of in addition to the physical evidence there. 
So there, you know, for example, there may be an instance where a driver says, I was going northbound, but the physical evidence doesn't suggest that. Okay. And so it's my job to put all of that together and identify as, you know, uh, much information as I can about the crash and kind of tell the story of how everything occurred. And that's got to be tough because no crash is the same, right? No, absolutely not. And um, even, you know, something as, you know, seemingly simple as a single vehicle into a tree, you know, at face value, you'd think it's fairly simple, but there's lots of things you have to look at. I guess an example would be, okay, was it a mechanical failure of the car? Was it um, a driver factor, perhaps mm-hmm. speeding or impairment, something to that effect? Was there a medical condition that potentially is the primary factor um, or weather? Those are some of the things that we look at, and they're not uh, cookie cutter or easy, <laughs> often easy. My brain tells me that, you know, I see people uh, on their cell phones all the time, whether I'm driving or on the bus or biking, which is how I get get to and from work. Um, But I, you know, so my gut tells me that this has to be playing a role in some of these crashes. But I mean, what what do you see uh, in the reconstruction aspect? Is distracted driving primarily from a cell phone? Is that a factor in crashes? Increasingly so. I would categorize it more as distraction in general. Okay. Um, it, it certainly cell phones don't don't help at all. Yeah. Um, we have plenty of cases that um, involve distraction and using a, a cell phone as a as a primary factor. But I think just distraction in general. Uh, you know, we're mentally distracted. We're thinking about. Uh, something other than the task at hand, which is driving. You know, I find myself doing it where I'm driving home and my mind drifts off to thinking about something I need to prepare for tomorrow at work or perhaps a sporting event that's coming up or mm-hmm. something like that. And and unbeknownst to us, we're, we're really distracted. We're not focusing our attention where it needs to be, which is on driving. And, you know, I, I would offer the same... Uh, when it comes to bicycling or or, or walking, right. uh, and an example would be from my own um, personal experiences. I was recently I, I do exercise in my free time when I can, and <laughs> I was uh, I often jog around a track, and I I have headphones in, and it um, you know kind of distracts from my own heavy breathing. <laughs> but I was uh, I decided not to run on the track and I had some headphones in and I was jogging down the sidewalk. And I went to c- cut across uh, not a h- heavily traveled road, but it was um, uh, a busier road. And um, I, I started to turn and out of the corner of my eye, I caught a car um, coming my direction. And there was a moment where I almost stepped out into the road and it was, but had I not had my headphones in, I probably would have heard it. Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of a moment where I took pause and I, I, I said, you know, I took the headphones out and I said, you know, I need to have all my senses, even when doing something relatively, 
easy as running. Yeah, as you we, know. We, what we think is safe, right? Yeah, what we think is safe, absolutely. And, um, you know, even something like that, I, I need to have my senses about me. And that, that uh, I think, applies to everyone out there on the roadways, whether you're bicycling, whether you're, you know, uh, walking or, or driving a car. Um, we, need, we need to be paying attention. Yeah. And, um, you would agree though, that if you're operating a motor vehicle and you're distracted, the threat level is higher of, of creating a, a potentially lethal situation. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. You're driving this large object with uh, a lot of weight and a lot of energy and, um, it takes you longer to stop. Yeah. Um, for, and for those reasons, absolutely. I mean, the potential to, for something catastrophic is is much higher, I would say, in a vehicle um, if you're distracted and you, for example, go through a red light yeah. or uh, um, do not see somebody in a crosswalk, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, what what message would you want to send to, to listeners, to Portlanders or people outside the city who you know, obviously are getting around some way, but um, just about your job or what message would you send to folks? You know, I guess in its simplest form, it's it's pay attention. You know, a lot of people kind of go through life thinking, well, they see something on, on TV or in the media and they think, well, that that won't ever happen to me. And I can tell you that without exception, everyone I've every family member I've spoke to after an event like this says the same thing. Well, I, he's a safe driver or, you know, they're always alert and, and, um, they can't believe it happened. So to those folks out there on the road who, who may approach it as, well, you know, it happens to other people cause they aren't, uh, I'm much safer than them or I'm paying mm-hmm. more attention than, than them that I would, encourage them to to take a step back and really look at uh, things more clearly. We have to protect ourselves first and foremost. And, um, you know, and in doing so, that means paying attention to what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of distractions out there. Being attentive is one of the um, cornerstones of being a good driver. Uh, the other thing that we tend to do, and I would say um, as, as motorists, is we tend to think of our cars as sort of a bubble that we protects us from. Um, and the reality is that's not the case. And um, we uh, and we can't just drive through life thinking that way um, because, you know, even at relatively low speeds, we've seen people killed in collisions even you know much of the speed limits around portland in and around portland are 30 miles per hour and most people think 30 miles per hour is not um not a high speed you know it's not like i'm going 80 out on the freeway um and uh many of the people um that we respond to many of these crashes and events that we respond to out here involve relatively low speeds uh, they don't in, always involve you know 80 miles an hour and I think that's what people need to understand is that even at 30 35 40 miles an hour it, a, a 
it can easily be fatal, especially when you're talking about a car versus a bicyclist or a car versus a pedestrian. And uh, I've I've spoken with Captain uh, Lorenko, uh, the uh, you know traffic division chief, about this, um, and we chatted about this previously that enforcement, um, you know, when you don't have the, the manpower, the women power, the officers out there, um, that's a challenge. And I'm wondering if, if you think that um, motorists are aware of that now and are maybe um, driving with, with the sense of there are no consequences or my, my, uh, I'm unlikely to be popped for this. Yeah, I think that's certainly, in in my humble opinion, yeah, I do think there are some individuals out there who absolutely approach it like that. And you can see it when you're driving around the city. You see people doing stuff driving down the shoulder or 10, 15 miles an hour over and over the speed limit. And, yeah, there's there's plenty of people out there. Now, is that is a reason they're, they're not doing it or that they're doing it is because they—, they believe that there's no, nobody out there enforcing it. I, I mean, I, I, I suppose an argument could be made for that. Absolutely. For those reasons, I mean, I, I do believe that um, at least some of these cases and that we have to investigate, I think had, had we uh, had more enforcement out there, I think there's a possibility we could have prevented some of them. So I think, and I think, do think it's important. Officer Maynard, thanks so much for taking the time to to chat, and um, I I hope that next year is a better year. I do too. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. And now a conversation with Commissioner Chloe Udaly. We spoke in her city hall office in late October, and I asked her how she's feeling about the city's progress in its Vision Zero plan. There isn't one thing that we've done in pursuit of Vision Zero goals that didn't need to be done. And so I reject uh, the notion that because we're not reaching zero or because deaths are on the rise that we should abandon the project. There are a lot of contributing factors to what's happening on our roadways. And unfortunately, PBOT alone cannot engineer educate our way out of those collisions and fatalities we need better partnership with ODOT we need and I've I've said this before and I and I hate I hate to say it uh, but we need more enforcement and when we rolled out vision zero there was justified concern about over policing communities of color So the decision was to deprioritize the enforcement piece of Vision Zero, which is the third E, engineering education enforcement. And unfortunately, the disparate impact that we've seen on communities of color is that they're more likely to be killed. That's a hard, a harsh reality to grapple with. PBOT does have the ability to install radar cameras, so we've speed cameras and we have red light cameras and we have four of them on the roads and we see a dramatic decline in speeding and and light red light running when those cameras are present we're putting four more up Um, it is a frustratingly slow process to get 
those cameras approved, get them funded, get them purchased through uh, procurement, get them installed, and then uh, the, <laughs> the final requirement is we have to have a sworn police officer to pro actually process the citations. And currently we have one wow. and only one. Is that policy set in stone or can that be changed? To we are definitely looking into the options. Can that state law rule be changed? Could we contract out to another uh, law enforcement agency that has more bodies? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a fan of punitive measures. I'm very concerned with the impact that kind of petty municipal violations have on poor people. I do not want to, this is not a source of funding for us. We barely, we don't even do cost recovery with tickets because of the, it's shared with the state and I think possibly the county and then, mm -hmm. so it ends up costing us to process these tickets. Um, not a fan of any of that stuff and studies have shown that it's not the it's not the fine that's the disincentive it's the speed within which you receive the ticket after you've made the infraction that's most likely to change behavior so it's vital that we're processing those tickets as quickly as possible in order to change the behavior because while I am not a fan of of punishment uh, I'm all, I'm I'm even less of a fan of people dying on our streets, and these cameras are the least biased, safest, and possibly most effective tools we have in changing in changing the behavior. Sadly, I do think we need more officers on the ground than we have because those cameras only capture a couple types of behavior. They're not necessarily capturing people who are driving under the influence um, or committing other, you know, kind of potentially harmful acts. Do you view the city um, differently when you're moving around now than you did before your transportation commissioner? Um, just people's behavior, what you notice? Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'd say I started viewing the city differently after I was elected. I think taking that oath of office just kind of, uh, at least for me, just imbued me with this sense of responsibility for everyone in our city that I didn't have before. Because before I was just one individual kind of at the mercy of my landlord sure. and whoever I encountered on the street and didn't have any power and uh, now, you know, when you're in a position like this, you and you do have resources and you do have the power to make change. It's it's a pretty. Um, it can feel amazing and it also can feel daunting and it does make every, especially now that I have the bureau, every traffic fatality hits harder because I know that there are things that we can do to make the streets safer. We are just struggling to keep up with growth, for one. We have thousands of people moving here from around the country who may not be familiar with our kind of unique laws, such as every intersection is a crosswalk, right. uh, who may not understand our driving culture, who may uh, 
you know, obviously there's a rise in frustration around congestion. There's a lot of new infrastructure on the roadways for bikes and peds that people may not understand how to interact with. And there is very little enforcement. So um, I brought us back around to what we need to do. And you asked me, do I experience the city differently? Yes, I have asked, could I get citations <laughs> that don't come with a fee, but just say something like, you just did something real dumb in front of your transportation commissioner. <laughs> and if I was a cop, you'd be getting a ticket. Lucky for you, you're just getting a strong reprimand from someone who cares about whether you live or die. I've struggled <laughs> with how to, you know, when I see bad behavior on the roads, like how to, how to respond, right? I mean, I don't know what, because I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm like in, in danger, you know? And so it's yeah. <laughs> confronting people is, is a tricky thing. So I don't know. It's, but I see it every day, all day. So it's kind of one of those things I choose my battles. I'm sure that's what people do. I, or I don't know if you ever say anything, if you see someone on their cell phone or, uh, you know, mis um, misbehaving out there. Yeah, if they're on their cell phone, they're probably not paying attention to what you're saying or doing, um, Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I'd want to encourage or discourage intervention. I mean, people have to use their own judgment on a case-by-case -case basis. Road rage is real. There are some really scary people on our, our roads that the safest option is probably just to ignore them and take a deep breath and keep going. I, when I'm on foot I, and I encounter scooters on the sidewalk, I will let them know one way or another that they are not supposed to be there and I will not be seating my right of way <laughs> as, as a pedestrian that is supposed to be there. Um, mostly, I'm gonna sound like such a goody two-shoes, but I like to think of myself when I'm driving as a peacekeeper and a pace setter. And so I drive the speed limit, even if people are tailing me and very angrily, you know. We've all been there. Yes, behind me. I obey all traffic laws. I do not encourage unsafe behavior. Obviously, the onus of the burden has to be on the driver. And it's drivers who are responsible for the majority of traffic collisions, injuries, fatalities, but all users have to be smart and safe. That includes pedestrians and cyclists. And, you know, for instance, if I see someone trying to cross the street in the middle of the road out from between two parked cars, I'm not gonna hit them if they proceed, but I'm not going to stop because that is very foolish behavior. Actually, I have a friend who was hit, sustained a life-altering brain injury and ultimately died who hmm. who did just that. So um, I feel like that's the safest thing that I can do, I guess, because I don't have those citations and I don't want to get into altercations with, with other drivers. Um, and if more people slowed down and stopped at red lights and gave pedestrians their rightful you know, right of way, the, the city would get safer. It's it's not that it's not that hard. <laughs>
Well, thank you for taking the time, and we'll keep an eye out for those citations if, if they land. <laughs> yeah. So far, uh, no dice. I don't think they like that idea. Uh, but I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks, Commissioner. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. You can read my stories on the transportation beat at oregonlive.com slash commuting. And you can subscribe to Beat Check anywhere you listen to podcasts to hear the latest episodes or to catch up on previous episodes. Until next time.